Throughout history, there have been many attacks against this country, and that's why we are today remembering those that have stood between us and the potential attacks upon our freedom. But the greatest attack upon this country has been by Satan himself, especially because of what we have stood for. And his attack has been focused on a number of things, but I would say primarily over these last decades, it has been on the family itself and, of course, how that affects the work of God. And we need to understand that our nation will be only as strong as our families and our churches will only be as strong as our families. American men received a stinging insult from British psychologist Dr. Joseph Meyer, who described them in 1984, I think it was, as a bunch of weak-kneed, lily-livered sissies. (laughs) That's encouraging. In a previous survey that he made about 20 years before, in 1964, he had actually had the reverse perspective. He had judged women to be at fault and declared American women to be domineering. He explained why he changed his viewpoint. Before, he said, I thought that the women wanted to rule the country. I changed that opinion. Women are compelled to take over, not fighting to take over. When he said that, I thought the men... He says this, I thought the men who attended with their wives some seminars that I spoke at would shoot me for my remarks, but instead they all agreed with me. It's still the fatherless society. The husbands are not husbands, and all the women are crying out for a strong man, and he's just not there. We need a passion for our families. As we talk about rekindling our passion we need to realize that through prayer and through a heart to serve the Lord, that it has to be anchored in godly relationships. You've heard this many a time. To our forefathers, our faith was an experience. To our fathers, our faith was an inheritance. To us, our faith is a convenience. And to our children, our faith is a nuisance. Now, that's tragic, and that is often so in generational decline, but doesn't need to be at all. In fact, God's plan is for generation after generation to become stronger and not weaker. A pastor asked a group of children in Sunday school, why do you love God? He got a lot of different answers, but the one he liked the best was, I guess it just runs in our family. (laughs) Oh, that's what we need. A love for God that's genuine, real, and powerful in our families. If you'll turn with me to Titus chapter 2, we're going to look at a wonderful passage that gives us hope about ourselves and our families. And I'm choosing this passage because it uses the same word that we find in the admonition to fathers in particular and to parents in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, Ephesians, of course, gives the glorious reality of the church age and what God is doing. And then the context of Ephesians 6, it's in being filled with the Spirit. makes a difference in our marriages, our families, our relationships. And we read in verse 4 there, And ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
That word, bring them up, is the same word that we're going to see here in Titus chapter 2, speaking of the marvelous grace of God. So I'm going to read just two verses. They follow some tremendous challenges to older men, older women, younger women, younger men, how that we can live in victory. And then it gives the reason why. Verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all, to all men, teaching us, there's the word, bring them up, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The term there found in Ephesians 6 for the training of a father and parents And here, what the grace of God does for us is the word in the Greek, paideia, the whole training and education of a child, the cultivation of the mind and morals, and employs for this purpose commands, admonitions, reproof, and punishment. It's the thorough training of a child to become what they ought to be. And that's quite a sobering and encompassing challenge for us as parents that we find there in Ephesians 4, but of course, Ephesians 6, but of course we realize that's in the context of the enabling of the Spirit of God. But here in Titus chapter 2, uh, in a unique context, we, we see here after all of the admonitions to be the right kind of people, the right kind of parents, husbands and wives, for the grace of God that bring of salvation appeareth to all. So number one, God's grace is available for every parent. And it's available to enable every child. Folks, we are not helpless as believers. We have every resource needed to be able to accomplish the task that God has set before us, which is key for Uh, the work of God to go forward. God's grace is available for every parent. And um, we find here it's the grace of God that brings salvation. Now, folks, uh, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can listen to some of the specific things I'm going to mention in the few minutes that we have together. And you can say, you know, that's a good idea. That's what I'm going to do. But that's not going to really work unless you know Christ as your Savior and have the very person of grace living within you, the Spirit of grace. You see, whatever we do in the flesh is very limited in our own weakness. Salvation is not religion. Salvation is not membership. Salvation is a personal relationship with the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is the second person of the Trinity. He came to this earth and died for you. He died for the sins of the whole world. And when he died, he paid for fully, completely, and eternally all of your sins. And he was buried and he rose again. And he is able to give us eternal life, his righteousness, and the forgiveness of sins. Friends, it's a glorious salvation. That's the grace of God. That's that unmerited favor of God. His enabling in our lives to to save us and to meet our needs. We can't do it, but He will. It's all through Jesus Christ, and it's accessed by faith alone in Him, a decision of the will. And so I encourage you as 
uh, we challenge on this matter that God's grace is available to anyone here. You may feel like, oh, I don't know, I just, I don't know about my life. He's ready to save you today. And that's going to be the key to everything else that we talk about. You need to come into a full eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans 5.15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if, if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And then God's grace illumines every believer. God is ready to give us what we need. God's grace is the working of God in us to do in us what we cannot do. I know as a parent, your heart faints pretty quickly when you think about the enormity of the job that it is to see your children go forward and to be what they ought to be. And uh, it's, it's really, uh, especially in our culture today, with all the pressures that are there, you see your own weaknesses, your own habits that are not really where they ought to be, your own reactions, your need for growth, and it can be overwhelming. But the good news is God's grace is available for all. Just like it is for salvation, it is available to you this morning to enable you to keep growing, to be an example to your children of what you want them to be, and then to give you power to, and wisdom to know how to shape and develop their lives and to through your prayer and through your walk with God to see them take steps of faith and to see God do miracles. God's grace is a glorious reality. And it has appeared. Uh, God will uh, illumine every one of us to what we need to do. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace through, uh, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved by faith, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Here it is, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I'm going to stop here. The reason I've taken a little time here, obviously it's in the text, but the biggest enemy for a parent or for a child is I can't do it. I just can't do it. Feeble knees, the Bible talks about it, uh, where you just get, you get overwhelmed. No, the fact is you can't do it, but God can. And anytime you see a family in which there is blessing and you see uh, young people that love God and are going forward, every parent will tell you it is the grace of God that changed them and enabled them to reach their children. It's a miracle. And so we need to uh, allow God to encourage us to realize that God can work. Richard Baxter was one of the great preachers in England. And in his early life, he went to a large church that was composed of entirely rich and influential people, very cultured, that, that had a great impact upon England. But he found that the congregation there was cold and not at all what he had hoped for. He was disappointed, but God gave him wisdom. He determined that the way to save the church, to be the influence that it ought to be, was to establish a warm and living faith inside the walls of family homes. That was very wise. In other words, the grace of God would begin in the homes. So he spent three years in visiting the homes of his community and helping establish family altars, and that's what we're encouraging you to do starting tomorrow, a daily time of prayer and Bible reading. 
individually as parents. He succeeded amazingly. And the conditions of the homes were transformed and the power of God came from them, in them and the, there was a fountainhead from that that filled the church to overflowing and revived Christianity in his church and had an impact on the nation of England. That's really my point today. God's grace is able to do what we cannot do. But it needs to start in our personal lives and in our homes. Well, the grace of God, number two, empowers discipline and self-control. Uh, this is very encouraging. If you look back to me with me at uh, verse 12, remember the word paideia is teaching, teaching us, training us, enabling us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. You know, we look around and we see all of the evil forces around us. But for us as parents and for our children, the Bible says that the grace of God is strong enough to enable us to say no to ungodly lifestyle. God's grace is able to do that. Uh, and the, anything that is a lack of reverence toward God, anything that is not uh, in God's will, we live in a day, as the Bible said would happen, where there is a lack of respect for parental authority. And yet, parents uh, can truly set up the right kind of leadership in their home by the grace of God. The grace of God will enable them to be disciplined and will enable them to have the right discipline and parameters for their children that will bring a sense of unity cohesiveness and direction to the home. God can do that because it's God's plan. Uh, that's, you know, again, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Don't react to them because they're not disciplined. But bring them up, paideia, train them, and then God will work. A kindergarten in a town was right on the corner by just a very busy, almost an expressway-type highway, and although the school had a nice yard in which the children could play, at recess they would huddle up against the building. The cars whizzing by frightened the little kindergartners. One day, a workman came along, erected a steel fence around the schoolyard. From that point on, the children used the entire playground. The fence did not limit their freedom. It actually expanded it. Children need fences, parameters, for they feel more security having the discipline of clear, appropriate biblical boundaries. And it's really true. And it's up, for, it's up to us as parents to, in our own lives, say no to ungodly lifestyle and to put parameters around our children that provide safety, clarity. We need to let them know what the Word of God says but definite, loving uh, discipline and guidelines bring great joy, great unity, great blessing within a family. If you have a lack of that, that's where the conflict comes. And it, and it causes then, if a child then reverences their parents because the parent is consistent, then they will have the right attitude toward God. And that's what we want. Blessed is a man, Psalm 1-1, that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate 
day and night. You see, when we are in, you need to get this, parents, when we're having victory and we're learning what the Christ life is all about, the Holy Spirit allowing Christ to live his life in us and there's genuine victory and and we understand the, the fullness of our salvation, then we are able to show excitement to our children about what it means to live for God. It is not what we can't do, it's what we can do. It's all about someone who loves us. It's all about someone who cares about us and is wanting to protect us. And believe me, children understand that. And they know that when a parent loves them and is very focused and sacrificial in teaching and leading and guiding and doing all that they should do and have a passion for that, they will uh, respond to that and realize that the answer in this very tumultuous world is the one that died for them. F.B. Meyer said about abiding in Jesus for us as parents that we need to teach our children, let the Holy Ghost in you keep you abiding in Jesus so that when Satan comes to knock at your door, Jesus will go and open it. And as soon as the devil sees the face of Christ looking through the door, he will turn tail. And that is true. That's what the grace of God allows us to say, no, I'm not going to live that way. Now, I'll tell you, dads, that means that you're going to have to say no to most television. You're going to have to say no to most uh, entertainment. You're going to have to say no to an unfettered use of your technology. You're going to have to say no to things that you know do not give your children the heart of Christ and that which is most important and is priority. I just hit a nerve when I hit that because that's a way of life here in America. But do we or do we not want our children to turn out for God? We have the grace to keep them from sin, but it starts dads and it starts moms with the grace of God to keep you from sin and to keep me from sin. Our children need to see that we love Jesus and that God has transformed us and we're not like the rest of the world. We have more joy. We have more fun, if I can use that term. We have the fullness of life because we have a relationship with Him and we're not living in guilt. We're not living torn down by this world. And that holy enthusiasm infects and just goes through the entire home. And there is a hope and an optimism that comes into the lives of children. Oswald Chambers said, face the tempter with Jesus Christ and he will apply the word of God to you and the temptation will cease. Aren't you glad that sin does not have to have dominion over us? The reason I'm I'm camping on this a little bit, if we're going to help our children say no to sin, they've got to see mom and dad say no to sin. They've got to see victory. They've got to say, I like what I see in my parents. There ought to be a wholesomeness, a sweetness, Constant anger doesn't speak much of Christ and his, and his great salvation. Irritation, frustration, wrong priorities, sensuality, those kind of things are out of the evil one, and they ought not be in our homes. So our children need to, to learn to love having times alone with God. They need to... Uh, realize that time with family, time with the Lord, time with other believers is a whole lot better than time on their device and time in any kind of ungodly activity. And the second aspect here 
is uh, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. It trains self-control over the flesh, those desires, those lusts. It's a wonderful thing. God's grace is powerful because of Christ. That free gift of his involvement in our lives helps us say, to say no to ungodly lifestyle and hallelujah to say no to our own flesh and its desires. And we can have the fruit of the Spirit, which is temperance. Galatians 5, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. There it is. Against such there is no law. Now, we joke, you've heard me say this before, self-control from a human standpoint is the capacity to break a chocolate bar into four pieces with bare hands and then eat just one piece. Uh, we chuckle at that and, uh, or to eat one potato chip you know, or whatever you want to use. But we're talking about far more than that. We're talking about that wonderful ongoing love for God, reality, reality of spiritual matters to where the world we don't love. We don't look to it for satisfaction. It isn't what really matters to us. And so therefore, our desires are anchored in Him, serving Him, enjoying all the good things He's given to us, seeing the whole life that expands before us, and realizing that the worldly desires only end up with guilt and darkness and frustration. And when you walk with Him, uh, there is that great grace that helps you say no to ungodly lifestyle, but to those worldly lusts. And what do your children face? They have to learn to say no to their desires, do they not? Isn't that what you're going to be disciplining them for and training them and teaching them and encouraging them and trying to develop new habits? Well, again, it's very important for us parents to be passionate about living that way ourselves. How do we use our time? What priorities do we have? Uh, do the, our children see wrong habits? They, they follow the model that we give to them. And so it's very important that we get encouraged about the fact that uh, we can um, overcome the wrong desires to, get, to have approval, to have success, uh, to want things, uh, to, to be selfish in our relationships. All of those things can be conquered by the grace of God. By the way, what I'm telling you ought not be seen as negative. This is good news, folks. Now, we call the gospel the good news for salvation. It's good news. We don't have to go to hell. Well, I got good news for you. You don't have to live constantly reigned by, uh, pulled in by your flesh. You can be free and live the life that God wants you to live. That's really good news. But I tell you, it's very good news for your children. Number three, the grace of God transforms character and lifestyle. Looking back with me at verse 12, teaching us, training us, paideia, child training us, to deny ungodliness, to say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live, enables us to live soberly, righteously, and godly. The word soberly uh, comes from uh, the idea of wisdom with sound mind, uh, discreet in our thinking. In other words, just thinking from a biblical, right, divine standpoint. In uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Wisdom is looking at life from God's point of view. And you can. It's a totally different perspective. 
And it's uh, very important. And so the grace of God will change our thinking. Remember, if we're a living sacrifice, Romans chapter 12, then we will not be conformed to the world, but transformed through the renewing of our mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We can make right choices. We can develop habits of right choices. Uh, we can put values on what God puts values on. We can have scriptural wisdom and be able to not be bound by wrong logic, wrong thinking, rationalizing. In January 1970, Max Born died. He was a close friend of Albert Einstein and a colleague of Max Planet, Planet, Planck and Otto Hahn, the nuclear physicist. He was one of the great minds of the 20th century. In an interview on German television before his death, he commented, I'd be happier if we had scientists with less brains and more wisdom. And I think in our day we'd say a big, I won't have you do it, but a big amen. And that would be in any area, of course. But uh, the fact is, folks, there's nothing more valuable than wisdom to think right. You know, every problem... Every time you suffer, you're not thinking right. Every time you have anxiety, depression, every time fear comes in, you're not thinking right, uh, except for the healthy reactions that God puts in us. But the ongoing pain and problems and, and uh, reactions and, and, and just muddled thinking, that, that is all a lack of wisdom, and it is the human reaction to life. But the grace of God will enable us to think right now, folks, that's so important. We have to make very wise decisions for our children. Our children need to value that my parents have something to say that is very, very important. They need to be able to see the track record of your decisions and your counsel to be that which is wise. And I tell you, the Holy Spirit will put into their hearts after they're saved that what you're saying is truth from above, and it will resonate in their soul. Remember, any time you're going to have leadership of any, of any type in, in the spiritual realm, it's not leadership by demanding leadership. It is leadership by resonating hearts with the truth and leading a person to where they ought to go in the truth. And that's exactly the way it should be with your children. They need to realize dad's thinking right. I want to think right. Parents, don't you love it when your children start making right decisions? When they, when they have a love for God and they want to do something. In fact, it can sometimes be a challenge and conviction to you, but never, never cool that off. Just shout hallelujah when you see God working in your children's lives. That's where we're going. And the grace of God will do that. Folks, we need to have a passion for our children to be wise. And uh, David got a hold of this. And finally, with his son Solomon, we see it throughout Proverbs, how Solomon was clearly speaking that which his father had taught him. And God was able to entrust him with uh, uh, great wisdom. And that's what we want for our children, but it takes them surrendering themselves to God. And then secondly, righteously. This has the idea of living right, upright, agreeable to the law. Uh, the law is our standard that brings us to Christ. There is an agreement with the very character of God, and that's why we must be passionate. Folks, I don't care what the philosophies are out there. You better get a hold of a biblical philosophy of discipline. And your children need to know there is right and wrong. It's not relative. 
And uh, we're seeing more and more, are we not, of just horrific things happening. And it's because of a lack of clear laying out of what the Word of God says. And then through loving, communication, and discipline, bringing children to a heart agreement with the righteousness of God. But I want you to see here is that the grace of God enables you to live righteously according to the standard of God's expectation for us. Oh, Psalm 19.7, I'll just read the first verse. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And parents, one of the best things that we can do is to so teach the Word of God, model the Word of God by the grace of God, and then enforce it so that they can have a good conscience. 1 Timothy 1.18, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. God's grace will enable us. And folks, we cannot falter. We cannot falter. And God's grace will enable us to be godly, a conscious walk with the Lord. It is that where God is more important than everything. You know, I'm challenging you here to take the step and spend an extended time with God every day. Parents, this is vital because it's got to flow out of your life that it, it is worth it to meet with God. You can't enforce devotions with your children if you are not excited about a time with God yourself. This is the only way we have a godly spirit is for us to meet with Him, be in His presence, uh, knowing the Shekinah glory of God. We have the Holy Spirit within us, but as we meet with Him, He's able to take control of our lives. And I just want to tell you, I came out of a wonderful home, and my parents loved the Lord, not perfect, but they were really great Christians. I know what it's like to walk into a home and the presence of God is there. It makes the difference. And then finally, it'll overcome any culture and generation. What good news is this? Verse 12, teaching us that denying, saying no to ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, in this present age. You look over at Titus chapter 1, how the culture of Crete was terrible. Uh, verse 12, one of them themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wow. Well, uh, then you look at chapter 2 and you see one of the highest standards of God living you'll ever find. In this, in this culture, in this age, we can have victory. Things are really changing in South Africa Andrew Murray and his father were deeply burdened, but uh, he prayed for revival and for God to work, and God's grace came upon his life. He, many of you have read of Andrew Murray and read his wonderful writings. Well, 11 children of his grew to adult life. Five of the sons became pastors and four of the daughters, pastors' wives. The next generation had a still more striking record in that 10 grandsons became pastors and 13 became missionaries. The secret of this unusual contribution to the Christian ministry was the Christianity in that home. Our families can live in victory, folks, despite the culture. Proverbs 12, 21, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil 
with good. Parents need to be living in victory. Arthur A. Hicks put the home in proper focus. No church, nation, or civilization rises higher than the spirit of reverence and worship that prevails in the home life of its people. The home that is not genuinely Christian is not a true home. It is God's first institution of human society and is the ultimate basis of society. It is the citadel of both church and state which so nobly serves our social order. How true it is. We need to rekindle our passion. It takes sacrifice. It means giving up rights, parents. It means that we can't just live a mediocre Christianity. It means that we've got to humble ourselves before God. But we need to rejoice that God's grace is abundant. It's more than enough. It's overflowing. And that if we will trust God, He will enable. If we'll stay humble before Him, His grace will train us. Therefore, we can train our children to be godly Christians in this age. And my, how we need that today. May God help us. Let's bow for prayer.